Hey, I'm Dr. Michael Hunter, forensic pathologist from Autopsy, Reels Channel's medical mystery series on Podcast One and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to download the Podcast One app and subscribe. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, to find more programs like this one on Reels Channel. Actress Natalie Wood was found dead today. Her body was found floating here. Officials said she apparently drowned accidentally. But nothing further on the circumstances. Natalie Wood was Hollywood's hottest actress for a generation. She went from child star to A-list celebrity. It's like she was born to be on camera. Natalie was a movie star in capital letters. I don't think about you when we're not together. She married screen legend Robert Wagner, not once, but twice. I'm not making any sense. And the couple enjoyed a spectacular lifestyle. They were the Hollywood dream couple. Dream couple. But on November 29, 1981, during what was supposed to be a relaxed weekend sailing trip, 43-year-old Natalie was found dead. Cause of death will be certified as uh, accidental drowning. The verdict never completely satisfied the press. The question of why Miss Wood left the yacht and drowned has yet to be answered fully. Now, medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter is taking a fresh look at one of Hollywood's most enduring mysteries. Was it accident, suicide, or something more sinister? I'd like to understand how this fit and healthy woman ended up drowned in the Pacific. Dr. Michael Hunter is a world-renowned forensic pathologist. He's performed over 4,000 autopsies to investigate and reveal the cause of death. Today, he's the chief medical examiner in one of America's biggest cities. This is Nellie Wood's autopsy report. And inside here, there's a wealth of information about the days, months, and years leading up to her death. I aim to find out what Natalie's autopsy has to tell us about what went so incredibly wrong on this innocent cruise. Friday, November 27th, 1981. Natalie and husband Robert Wagner are in Marina del Rey, Southern California, preparing for a weekend cruise to Catalina Island on their boat, Splendor. Every year at this time, they invite a group of friends to join them on the 70-mile round trip. But this year, only one guest can make it. Hello! Oh! Hollywood Grace. actor Christopher Walken. Oh, mm, so great to see you! Natalie and Christopher are currently co-starring in the science fiction movie Brainstorm. It's the latest attempt to revive her flagging career. Now 43 years old, youth-obsessed Hollywood no longer sees her as hot property. Lana Wood, sister. It was a difficult time for her because she felt the passage of time. She was concerned that, um, you know, parts would become fewer and far between. Mike Walker, journalist. She was still doing movies, but they just weren't, you know, they just weren't clicking. She was still a very beautiful woman, but uh, it, it was not her moment. When Natalie was offered Brainstorm, it was an opportunity for her to reestablish herself as a serious actress, to be considered again as someone who was in Oscar contention. 
But playing opposite Christopher Walken is filling Natalie with self-doubt. Susan Finstad, biographer. Christopher Walken was playing her husband. He was younger than Natalie. Natalie was 43, which is a somewhat dangerous age for actresses in Hollywood. She was concerned about flashback scenes of their wedding, where she would have to look even younger. Natalie Wood was born in 1938 in San Francisco. The movies were important to her and Sister Lana from an early age. Natalie and I were eight years apart in age. My family was very much run by my mother. Very, very much. She adored everything about Hollywood. Natalie's mother decided that she would make her eldest daughter a star. Natalie's mother, Maria, was the stage mother extraordinaire. She groomed Natalie for stardom, for greatness, from conception. Dr. Linda Papadopoulos, psychologist. Her mom very much vicariously lived through her. This was this perfect, beautiful little girl who was going to have everything that the mother ever dreamed of. Maria's vision paid off when seven-year-old Natalie hit the big time, thanks to her role in the classic movie Miracle on 34th Street. She took that role and just made it something that, that everybody remembers. The first thing I noticed in the autopsy is the hair is long brown, the eyes are brown, the body is that of a well-developed, well-nourished Caucasian female. The autopsy states that there are no injuries to the scalp or skull. However, there are numerous small superficial bruises over the legs. Further along, I see the left wrist is slightly deformed. Now, in my experience, that's typical of a badly healed break. In 1948, 10-year-old Natalie was filming a stunt scene for her latest film, The Green Promise. Natalie was supposed to cross over a bridge. The man who had the timing to collapse the bridge got the timing wrong. This clip shows the actual moment the stunt went wrong. When the bridge collapsed too soon, Natalie was genuinely in trouble. But the director didn't realize and kept on filming. They loved the way it looked on camera and, and they kept saying, Just keep shooting, keep shooting, keep shooting. During her struggle to hold on and not fall into the torrent, Natalie broke her wrist. It was a moment that haunted her for the rest of her life. It was truly traumatizing. And she forever after was terrified of dark water and she feared that she would drown in dark water. My question is, how does a woman who has a phobia of water end up drowning in the Pacific? I can see here in Natalie Wood's blood toxicology that she has cyclozine in her system. Now, cyclozine is an antihistamine, and it's used for seasickness. It interferes with the nerve impulses from the inner ear to the brain that cause nausea. The fact that she's taken cyclozine fits perfectly with what we know about her last 24 hours. The seven-hour crossing to Catalina Island was rough. The skipper even considered abandoning the trip and turning back. But by Saturday afternoon, the yacht Splendor is safely moored about 200 yards off the island's coast and the small settlement of two harbors. Usually teeming with weekenders and tourists, now in late November, 
visitors are few and far between. At around 2 p.m., Natalie and Walken decide to take Splendor's dinghy to shore. They do not tell Wagner they are leaving. Two Harbors has just one bar, Doug's Harbor Reef. Natalie and her co-star begin an afternoon of drinking. She used to love wine. She never really drank hard liquor. She would have occasionally um, a Bloody Mary. She was a social drinker. When her stomach was open, it had a strong smell of alcohol. Her blood had 0.14% alcohol in it. This is about twice the legal limit for driving. We already know that she has cyclozine in her system, and that's going to amplify the intoxicating effects of alcohol. I'm surprised that Natalie was so careless. Mixing drugs like this can be extraordinarily dangerous. The staff at Doug's Harbor Reef are used to celebrity customers and pay little attention to the two movie stars propping up the bar. But the Hollywood rumor mill has been gossiping about Natalie and Walken for a while. Christopher Walken liked Natalie Wood. She liked him, and he liked her. Before very long, we in the press were hearing they might like each other a little bit more than they should be liking each other. After nearly 40 years in the public eye, Natalie was weary of being speculated about. She was aware that people are watching you, judging you. It was very draining after a while. And that had become problematic for her. She missed being a regular person. In the report, I can see that she has a prescription for Placidil, a very strong sleeping pill. And the prescription's for 30 pills, and it was a month old, and there are a couple pills remaining. So this tells me that she was likely taking one of these pills every day. She was frightened of being alone. So she would take a sleeping pill so that she could just go to sleep. It just became habit. It was just one of those things that, um, that seemed very normal. Natalie's inability to sleep went back to childhood and her intense relationship with her mother. They were almost one person. They were almost intertwined in a way that was desperately unhealthy. Because she was a child star, her mother had instilled in her this fear that she was going to be or could be kidnapped. Natalie began to feel terrified to be alone. Natalie turned to sleeping pills to ease her anxieties. She's in Hollywood, probably the center for, for over-medicating. Everything's there is about, let's fix it with a pill. It's 3 p.m., Natalie and Christopher Walken have now been drinking steadily for an hour. They'd slipped away from Splendor without telling Wagner. And when he realized they were missing, the skipper Dennis Davern called a water taxi to ferry them to shore. Wagner and Natalie loved to needle each other, but sometimes it got out of hand. Oh, he's a drinker, she's a drinker. This was very, very, very sticky waters. Yeah. I see it all the time. 
Intoxicated people have depressed brain function, and this leads to poor judgment, and oftentimes situations go out of control. Suddenly, Wagner said to Walken, You just want to my wife! On November 29, 1981, Natalie Wood's body was found floating in the Pacific Ocean, 200 yards from her luxury yacht. Now, Dr. Michael Hunter, one of America's top medical examiners, is investigating her case. So far, I've discovered a troubled psychological background and a decades-long relationship with sleeping pills and alcohol. But the mystery still remains. How did this woman, who has a profound fear of water, end up dying in the ocean? November 28, 1981. The afternoon before her death, Natalie, husband Robert Wagner, actor Christopher Walken, and the yacht's captain, Dennis Davern, are drinking at a bar on the east coast of Catalina Island. By 8.30 p.m., it's time to eat. But after just a few mouthfuls, Natalie sends her food back to the kitchen and jokes, I'll drink my dinner. But behind the smiles... Natalie's attitude to food could be a symptom of the darker side to her life as a Hollywood star. Alongside prescriptions for sleeping pills, investigators found a bottle of metahydrin. It's a powerful diuretic. It pushes water out of the body by altering the way kidneys absorb certain salts. Diuretics are usually prescribed for high blood pressure, but there's nothing in the report that suggests she actually had high blood pressure. Her heart's of normal size, and her kidneys appear normal, so there has to be another reason why she's taking metahydrin. Now, diuretics can be used for other purposes, and they can be abused by individuals who want to try to lose weight rapidly. The attitude toward diuretics in Hollywood is just, well, you got to do what you got to do. Here's Natalie Wood. The kind of fresh young face and macaroni-proof young figure that the movie industry is always seeking. If you're going to stop that camera from exposing you, you must do whatever you have to do. The slightest little increase in weight is like a disaster. As a young adult star, Natalie started taking basically diet pills, some form of speed. She felt that she had to be in proper form body-wise, and this resulted in her taking so many diet pills that she basically ate nothing. She was, in effect, an anorexic. Reports that she may have been anorexic in her 20s aren't surprising. It would have fitted in very well into this need for control. Don't forget, anorexia comes under the realm of obsessive-compulsive disorders. It's actually an anxiety around being able to, to maintain control of one's body. This would fit in very well to a young woman in Hollywood with a lot of pressure to conform to an ideal. Six weeks before the trip to Catalina Island, on the set of her latest movie, Brainstorm, Natalie is more than ever aware of her weight. At the age of 43, she's hoping the film will revive her flagging career. She was concerned about losing weight so that she could look slender and desirable. It seems likely that Natalie was using metahydrin to stay thin. Natalie's prescription for metahydrin is six weeks old. She's taken 12 of these pills, so she has taken some of this medication while she's been filming on location. 
and unusually, she was also drinking while filming. Natalie had a rule that when she was filming, she would not drink for the obvious reasons. It would help put on weight and so forth. But on Brainstorm, she had broken this rule. She's very aware that the effects that alcohol have on her appearance, on the way that she looks. So those mechanisms of control that she'd normally had in, those, those blocks to ensure that she was okay and on top of things, they're starting to crack. They're not there in the same way they were. Behind the scenes, Natalie's private life was crumbling. The Wagner's marriage, though outwardly, at least to the public, was a sort of fairy tale. But inside the marriage, there were a lot of fissures, sort of jealousy and competition. Natalie's second marriage to Robert yeah. Wagner appeared to be in trouble. I gave him a call, told him you were fine, asked if he was fine. He's fine. Fine. This wasn't the first time her relationship with Wagner had pushed her to the edge. Natalie had first married 27-year-old Wagner when she was just 19 years old. But after four years, the relationship collapsed amid rumors of infidelity. And in 1962, they divorced. She had been in an unhappy marriage to Robert Wagner. It was um, just a low point, a nadir in her life. Throughout this period, it seems prescription drugs played an increasing role in Natalie's life. A friend of Natalie's visited their house a number of times and told me how he'd gone to the bathroom and when he opened the medicine cabinet that he saw you know, uppers and downers. There is no evidence in this autopsy report that suggests that she was taking any of these medications. But it's clear that in her 20s, she was no stranger to self-medicating as a way to cope with her stress. You kind of look at where Natalie was at the time. Hers is a world that is so outside the realm of normality or so outside the realm of, frankly, anything that anyone else could relate to. There's a sense that, you know, my behavior is perfectly fine. I'm just coping normally. And that's a very vulnerable, dangerous state of mind. 10 p.m. After drinking through the afternoon and into the evening, the Wagner party winds down but they're all clearly inebriated. The restaurant manager is so concerned about their condition that he calls the harbor master and warns him to keep an eye on them as they return to their yacht in a dinghy. Ten thirty p.m. Natalie has just hours to live. In police interviews, all three witnesses say that the party continued below deck. <laughs> as far as most of Hollywood was concerned, everybody was speculating that she and Christopher Walken were having an affair. <laughs> and Robert Wagner almost certainly was picking up on that vibe. Christopher Walken was the inflammatory element on the boat that night. According to skipper Dennis Davern, 
Robert Wagner became increasingly agitated as Christopher Walken took his wife's side in an argument about their marriage. Saying is you're, you're brilliant. You're brilliant. Yeah. You've got to follow your heart. She's got to follow her heart. <laughs> and then suddenly, Wagner said to Walken, You just want to my wife. Natalie was appalled. She was aghast. She immediately got up and went below deck. Natalie, stay here. And it all resulted in a a dynamic that was deep and dark and very dangerous. What started out as a relaxed Thanksgiving break has turned sour and ends in tragedy. Her body was found at 7.30 the next morning, dressed in a red-down jacket. Natalie Wood was pronounced dead at 7.44, November 29, 1981. The next day, the coroner called a press conference. His statement was brief. Cause of death will be certified as... Uh accidental drowning. As the media descended on Catalina Island, the coroner pieced together the events surrounding her death from statements given by Wagner, Walken, and skipper Dennis Davern. It seemed that after the confrontation, Christopher Walken went back to his private cabin, leaving Dennis and Wagner together in the salon. Wagner says that at 11.45 he glimpsed his wife in their bathroom. This would be the last time he saw her alive. Explaining why Natalie might have gone up on deck, Wagner said that she was often disturbed by the sound of the dinghy banging on the side of the boat and could have gone out to tighten the mooring rope. The rope sometimes loosened with the movement of the ocean swell. Wagner said that Natalie would have had to first untie the dinghy before pulling the rope tight. Both Natalie and the dinghy were then swept away by the ocean current. When the dinghy was eventually found, the search team reported scratch marks on the side. And this suggested to them that Natalie had attempted to save herself by trying to climb into the dinghy. With no apparent witnesses to her final moments and few facts to go on, the coroner concluded, death by accidental drowning. From what I see in the autopsy report, the most critical finding is that her lungs are voluminous and heavy with froth noted about her nose and mouth on initial discovery. Any body that's found in the ocean is going to have lungs filled with water. But when you see that foam, it means that water has mixed with air. This is clearly death by drowning.
But that's the easy part. Now I want to know what the autopsy tells me about how that happened. How did this movie star, who has an abiding fear of water, end up in the ocean? This is Dr. Michael Hunter. Did you know you can stream the autopsy television series on Roku and Fire TV? Well, you can. Just download the Reels app and subscribe to see the TV show behind the podcast. And if you've got Prime, it's on Amazon channels too. Once you're streaming, you'll find more real life and death programs from Reels like Copycat Killers about murderers inspired by movies. You'll also get access to Murder Made Me Famous, the real crime series that profiles people like Jody Arias and Drew Peterson, who are household names because of the murders they committed. It all comes from the real life mystery fans at Reels Channel. Find Reels on your TV at Reels.com. That's R E E L Z.com. In November 1981, the mysterious circumstances surrounding Natalie Wood's death were headline news. Now, medical examiner Dr. Michael Hunter is scrutinizing her case. I'm investigating the autopsy report to establish how Natalie came to drown. I'm surprised that Natalie's toxicology report actually looked for the presence of barbiturates. Barbiturates depress the entire central nervous system, relaxing every part of the body. That makes for a very effective sedative. But this drug can be deadly. With no known antidote, an overdose of barbiturates is an effective way to commit suicide. The fact that this test was requested suggests that they had considered strongly that barbiturates played some role in her death. After her divorce in 1962, Natalie dated a string of A-list men. The party did not stop for her, certainly. She began dating some of the most desirable men on the planet. Warren Beatty, Frank Sinatra, Steve McQueen. But despite outward appearances and a successful movie career, Natalie was struggling to cope. In November 1964, during a weekend break from filming The Great Race, Natalie's hedonistic lifestyle came to an abrupt halt. She took an overdose of pills. She said, I just didn't want to live. It just seemed to her that everything was falling apart. It was a very scary time for her. Not too many details known about it. It was hushed up, I mean, right away. But it was serious, and it nearly killed her. She never discussed it with me. She never discussed it with anybody other than with her doctor. Seventeen years later, could the same suicidal thoughts have led to her death? 
it's possible that Natalie's drowning is a consequence of another drug overdose. An overdose of barbiturates can have a devastating effect on the brain. It can cause loss of coordination and confusion. So before the pills had time to take full effect and kill Natalie outright, she could have wandered from her cabin unaware of where she was. It's conceivable that Natalie stumbled onto the deck in a barbiturate haze and simply fell overboard. But the toxicology report shows that she did not have barbiturates in her system. This rules out a copycat drug overdose. However, that does not rule out suicide as an explanation for her death. And buried deep in the neuropathology report, I see a possible motive for suicide. There's something abnormal about Natalie's brain. The fold that separates the frontal cortex from the parietal cortex is unusually wide. Judging by this report, it suggests that there's a loss of tissue. And this can be a sign of someone with a progressive brain disease. Now, if Natalie knew that she had a brain abnormality, this could be a trigger leading to suicide. Natalie was no stranger to the ravages of terminal disease. She had nursed her father in the months leading up to his death. My dad's illness was really very shocking, very upsetting to Natalie. She just absolutely adored him. He was bedridden, and uh, it was a very difficult time for her. His passing, very, very difficult. When you've had experience of a, the pain and the anguish of a protracted illness of, of a loved one, perhaps, like, like Natalie did with her father, there's some theories around illness perceptions that that's something that you dread so much for yourself, that, that, you'd, rather, that you'd rather end it yourself, you'd rather kill yourself than have to, to live it out. Given her psychological history, it's possible that Natalie would have reacted badly with the knowledge that she had some type of progressive brain disease. I see in this report that they scrutinized that area of the brain and there was no softening or evidence of past necrosis. Her brain seemed completely healthy. The abnormal fold was simply an anatomical quirk. A motive for suicide is still elusive, but there's a disturbing note within the pages of her journal. And the last entry reads, This loneliness will not leave me alone. And if Natalie was suicidal, she was surrounded by the next best thing to a drug overdose, the Pacific Ocean. Actress Natalie Wood was found dead today. And her friends and fans are still wondering if they know the whole story behind her death. News reporters tried to make sense of how this fit 43-year-old ended up drowned in the Pacific Ocean. But the question of why Miss Wood left the yacht and drowned is yet to be answered fully. By examining in detail her autopsy report, Dr. Michael Hunter will draw his own conclusions about what really happened to Natalie. So far, I've discovered that Natalie Wood has a troubling psychological history that includes a past suicide attempt. So I'm considering the possibility of another suicide attempt, this time by drowning. But on the face of it, 
drowning would be an odd method for Natalie to choose. She was very afraid of water. Never really learned to swim other than she could dog paddle a bit and hated it. Um, and was terrified of water, terrified. Her fear of water sprung from an accident on set when she was just 10 years old. She desperately clung to the side of the bridge, but she nearly drowned during the scene. Natalie struggled with her fear of water right into adulthood. Given that she's deathly afraid of water, it seems bizarre to think that she would commit suicide by drowning. But the toxicology report also shows that she's intoxicated, and that can change everything. She'll be feeling much more relaxed, even to the point of recklessness. Don't forget, that's what substances do. They help us cope with anxiety. They help us cope with fear. So as counterintuitive as it is, a suicide attempt by drowning, it's not something you can completely disregard. If I'm going to make a decision about whether Natalie drowned herself, I have to have a much better understanding of what occurred following her first suicide attempt. A lot of things can change after trauma like that. One of the biggest changes in Natalie's life after her suicide attempt in 1964 was motherhood. Having a child meant the world to her. The world. Even before she was married, she would talk about, you know, wanting a child, wanting a child, and wanting that child to have a childhood which she did not have. Her first child, Natasha, was born in 1970 to second husband, movie producer Richard Gregson. Four years later, another daughter, Courtney, was born to Robert Wagner, whom she had remarried. Becoming a mom made Natalie determined to manage her demons. She went into psychoanalysis. She was very, very adamant about not missing her appointments. It was even in her contracts, which she would be leaving and having an hour's appointment you know, with her therapist. Natalie seized control of her life after coming so close to losing it. And there's evidence on board Splendor that 17 years after her suicide attempt, Natalie was using pharmaceuticals to help control her mood. The investigators found four and a half tablets of Valium, as well as an empty bottle of Dalmain, a drug similar to Valium. These types of sedatives would have been a sensible prescription to help her control her moods following a suicide attempt. So given Natalie's devotion to her children, her commitment to her therapy, and her aversion to water, I think I can rule suicide out. I need to look elsewhere for the explanation of why Natalie ended up in the water. And to do that, I need to account for every moment leading up to her death. And key to that timeline is how long she was actually in the water before she perished. The autopsy includes a report that when Natalie's body was recovered at around 7.30 a.m., there was no rigor mortis. Her body was still completely limp. That convinced some in the recovery team that Natalie had been alive just a couple of hours before they found her. Rigor mortis is one of the most well-known ways to try to establish when someone died. It's caused by the increase in muscle tension after death. In usual circumstances, rigor takes anywhere from two to six hours to develop. Natalie had gone missing around midnight. So had she been struggling in the water for several hours? 
Rigor mortis is a chemical process heavily influenced by environmental factors such as temperature. And cold water in particular slows down rigor mortis, making it difficult to determine the time of death, particularly in a drowning like this. I need to look elsewhere for a time of death. The autopsy report describes about 500 cc's of partially digested food in Natalie's stomach. And that gives me a much more reliable means to determine time of death. We have good data on how quickly food moves through the stomach, and that movement stops at death. So we can use that to determine when someone dies. Her dinner was still in her stomach. That means her gastric clock stopped anywhere from three to four hours after her last meal. Suggesting that she died around midnight, and that was about a half hour after she was last seen. So to solve the mystery of how Natalie ended up in the ocean, we need to focus on the final minutes after Wagner saw her alive. Whatever happened to her happened fast. And here in the report, there's evidence that makes me think that a simple fall is not the full story. The autopsy states that there were no injuries to the scalp or skull. There were no traumatic injuries of the chest or abdomen. But I can see that there are more than two dozen bruises on the body. The bruises are fresh without healing, and that tells me that the injuries were sustained within the last 18 hours. These bruises could just be innocent injuries sustained while she's stumbling on the boat or clinging to the dinghy. But to me, it looks like at least one of these injuries could be defensive. The bruise on the right forearm might be an injury sustained while she's protecting herself. And the big bruise on the knee could be from her falling onto the deck. So I need to consider whether Natalie was manhandled moments before going into the ocean. For 30 years, the question as to how Natalie ended up in the sea had gone unanswered. But in 2011, new evidence emerged, and Natalie Wood's death was reinvestigated. Recently, we have received information uh, which we felt was substantial, enough to make us take another look at this case. At the center of this new investigation was Dennis Davern who now retracted his original police statement. Have you changed your story from when you spoke to investigators years ago? I, I made mistakes uh, by not telling the honest truth. Dennis, what happened that night? Was there an argument on the yacht? Yes, that night there was, a, there was an argument. Then the arguing went on to the aft deck and Moments later, everything became silent. Dennis Davern believes that Robert Wagner laid hands on his wife, injured her in some way, 
and that suddenly, boop, she's out to sea. But investigators couldn't be sure whether the bruises on Wood's body happened before or after she went into the water. In 2012, the new coroner's report revised the cause of death from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors. The LAPD were at pains to say that Robert Wagner was not a suspect in the case. My investigation doesn't rule out the possibility of violence occurring on Splendor, but I believe that there are other explanations. Dr. Michael Hunter has been investigating how Natalie Wood came to drown in November 1981. Buried deeply in this autopsy report, I finally found evidence that could shed new light on her death. Natalie's list of prescription drugs includes Synthroid. That's a drug given to individuals who have underactive thyroid. That's the gland that controls metabolism. These individuals oftentimes have increased bruisability. And that, for me, calls into question any theory that she was manhandled prior to going into the water. Or even that she tried to save herself by clinging to the dinghy. I believe that these injuries are likely from her simply being intoxicated and stumbling on the boat. This is a complex case with a lot of unknowns. And this is the sequence of events that I believe led to her death. November 28, 1981, around midnight. This is a woman with a routine. She takes a sleeping pill every night, Placidil. But the toxicology report shows no trace of Placidil. It suggests that she hasn't taken her sleeping pill yet. But the report does show the presence of the painkiller propoxyphene. At a concentration of 0.07%, and that suggests that she likely took this medication around two hours prior to her death. Intended to be used in hospitals to treat migraines, propoxyphene was sometimes used to treat insomnia. Because as well as eliminating pain, the pill induces drowsiness within 60 minutes of being taken. Propoxyphene combined with the seasickness medication cyclozine and alcohol can lead to a deadly cocktail, robbing her of her ability to survive. Around midnight, we know that something prompted Natalie to put on a warm jacket and go on deck. The combination of drugs pulsing through her system will make her coordination poor, her judgment impaired, and would make her unsteady on her feet. We don't know how Natalie got into the water, but when she did, the combined effects of drugs and that bone-chilling water would have limited her ability to self-rescue. Her muscles are going to tense. She would have been unable to cry out for help. Over time, she's unable to breathe and get oxygen to her body, and that causes anoxic injury to the brain. 
Within 10 minutes, she's likely died from drowning. This was a tragic end to an extraordinary life. Natalie's funeral saw a rare gathering of Hollywood's biggest names. From Frank Sinatra to Roddy McDowell. She found a way not only to put life into her art, but to put art into her life. It's almost like the death of John Kennedy. Everyone seems to remember and know where they were when Natalie died. She was such a part of the fabric of American culture. Her two biggest fears were being alone and being in the water, and, and that's how it ended for, for this beautiful lady. Natalie had that magical essence. Natalie appealed to men. Natalie appealed to women. You wanted her as your friend. You wanted her as your sister. And you wanted to marry her. She just was a great natural beauty who felt like a natural person and who said things in a natural way. And I think everybody just really missed her. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autopsy. Don't forget to subscribe at podcastone.com with the Podcast One app or at Apple Podcasts. Then go to reels.com, that's R-E-E-L-Z.com, for clips, extras, and more from the TV version of the series, including reenactments and autopsy photos you'll only see on Reels' channel. Find Reels on your TV at reels.com. I'm Dr. Michael Hunter. 